Thanks for having me here. It's nice to be here. Um, Let's begin by praying. Dear God, please make sure that I speak the truth clearly this morning. Please make us all hear the truth. And please take away anything that would stop us from obeying. Amen. Well, today we're going to hear the important message that Acts isn't a British drama. Probably doesn't sound like a particularly important message and maybe a bit obvious. So let me explain. You see, when you're watching an American drama, you can be pretty sure that by the end of it, the cute guy will end up with the pretty girl, or the the good person's going to triumph over the bad person, or the struggling teenager will realise how much his family really loves him. Whatever's considered good, it's going to happen. It's going to be all wrapped up, concluded, resolved. In British dramas, the movie builds up to a climax and ends. So the, the cute guy begs the pretty girl to have him back and then the credits roll, or the good guy and the bad guy spin around, shoot at each other and the screen goes black. And that's it. It drives Yen crazy. And then she starts asking me questions like, how do you think it ends? And I very helpfully say things like, well, it ends with them shooting at each other and then the screen goes black. No, no, who do you think lives on? Well, it's a movie. Nobody lives on. The characters finish at the end of the movie. Oh, you're such a pain. See, if Axe was a British drama, if it was written in that style, it would have just finished, just now. We'd be watching the credits because it's, it's reached a climax and we're now moving into resolution. Because you see, Acts is about what Jesus has been doing since he ascended through the apostles and others. And Jesus tells his disciples what he's going to do through them in Acts 1.8. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so far, what we've seen up to last week is this. Acts 8.1, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So the gospel has gone to Judea and Samaria, but it hasn't even started going to the ends of the earth or to the Gentiles. And persecution's broken out. So how is the gospel going to reach the ends of the earth before persecution kills it off? More specifically, we see that Saul is the persecutor. Here's a question. How is the gospel going to go to the Gentiles before Saul stops it? There's a bit of a preview of what's to come. But because Acts isn't a British drama, we've got 20 chapters to go. And from here on in, so we're at an important turning point in the book of Acts, we're going to be reading about how the gospel spreads to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. The fact that it does, of course, is wonderful news for you and me. So in the passage today, we're going to see a template, essentially, for how you and I can be saved. And we'll see that God really cares and is extremely involved in the salvation of individual Gentiles like you and me. But the importance of this passage is bigger than that. We're not just looking at how Jesus' words at the beginning of Acts get resolved, we're also seeing the promises to Abraham being fulfilled. Promises from Genesis 17, where God changes Abram's name to Abraham, and he says, your name is changing because you'll be the father of many nations. So whenever anyone mentioned Abraham's name, they should have been reminded that he'd be the father of many nations. 
but it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Or the promises of Genesis 22, where God told him that through his offspring, all nations would be blessed. So actually today, we'll see that the Bible isn't a British drama either. The promises of the entire Bible are being fulfilled and we're seeing how they're resolved. Okay, so that's the context. But let's think, if Acts isn't a British drama, do we classify it as an American one? Sometimes in American ones, they're so desperate to resolve everything that they basically resort to ludicrously far-fetched coincidences to do so. A classic case, and you're going to get a bit of a glimpse of the type of movies I watch, Terminator 2. It's about creatures that are part human, part robot, that travel back in time to battle it out for the future of humanity. So the plot itself is not far-fetched at all. But see if you can spot the coincidences. The, the evil robot is made up of liquid metal, and whatever happens to it, it just kind of melds back and fixes itself. And you think, how can this thing ever be beaten? It's, it's indestructible. Well, it turns out there are two things that can hurt it, extreme cold and extreme hot. And as the robots battle, they just happen to crash a liquid nitrogen truck into a metal smelting factory. Just slightly far-fetched. And if we look at this passage as if we were there on the road, Acts 8 is going to look a bit far-fetched too. Like, here's Philip walking along the road, doesn't even seem to really know why he's there. A bit further up is an Ethiopian official. And by the way, if you are picturing this, the Ethiopian official is likely a black African man. He's not a Gentile, he's not like you and me. So Philip runs up to the chariot and kind of hangs around near it. That's a little bit weird, probably a little bit disconcerting. And then he hears the Ethiopian reading out loud, which is kind of also a little bit weird, isn't it? Why would he be reading out loud? A passage that, well, just happens to be about Jesus. The Ethiopian needs, he says, he needs someone to explain it to him. And, well, wouldn't you know it, Philip's just the right person to do so. Then Philip explains the gospel to him. He probably did what Peter did in Acts 2 and says, you need to repent and be baptised. And, oh, look, there's some water. They just happen to pass by where the Ethiopian official can be baptised. Everything's resolved. The gospel's gone to the Gentiles and Philip disappears. Classic, far-fetched American-style drama. But it's not because I've misrepresented it. I've left out the most important character, the main character, the one who's organising everything, God. Oh, and just as an aside, the fact that he was reading a Bible passage about Jesus can't be a coincidence because the whole Bible's about Jesus. But you see, when I was talking to that, I was very, very careful to leave God out. Well, I left out the Spirit. But the Bible is very careful to do just the opposite. It wants there to be no question that these events were the work of the Holy Spirit. It wants us to know that what's happening here is part of God's plan. It's important to him. He's driving it all, beginning with the angel telling Philip to go to the road. He didn't know why. And telling him to run up beside the chariot, orchestrating all the events through to Philip disappearing. God wants this Gentile person to be saved and he organises everything to make it happen. It's great, isn't it, to see God's promises to Abraham and disciples come true. 
And it's history that's life-changing to our own context. But it's history. Maybe it's being here in a school, but history was never my favourite subject. I, I always struggled to see how it was relevant to me today. Well, I'm going to discuss three ways that the passage is relevant to us today. Three ways that are relevant because the Spirit is still at work in the same way today as he was here in this passage. And the passage shows us how we should respond. The three ways are read, trust and tell. They're relevant because the Spirit is still at work today like it was in Acts. But hang on, I'll pretend I hear you say to me, God doesn't work the same way today. Like, how many of us have ever had an angel come and tell us what to do, or a word directly from the Holy Spirit? And if you'd said that, you'd be right. I mean, I personally have never had an angel appear to me and tell me what to do. I've never heard a voice say, hey, Dean, it's the Holy Spirit here. But nevertheless, God still works the same today. And we will do a little bit of passage uh, flipping to show that. But he speaks to us in a different way. So let's have a look. Someone I know once said that the Holy Spirit was telling them to go to Africa for a holiday. Why? Because she dreamt about a giraffe. I don't know, is that how we hear from the Spirit today? Through dreams? If so, how do we know how to interpret them? And how do we know which dreams come from the Spirit and which dreams come because we ate too much cheese before we went to bed? No, it's important to focus on an aspect of doctrine, doctrine on the Spirit, and that's the relationship between the Spirit and the Word. So the word that is translated in our Bibles as Spirit literally means breath. The Spirit of God is the breath of God. So when Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is God-breathed, he's saying that the Word comes from the Spirit. The words come from the breath. We hear the Spirit when we read the Word. Or in Ephesians 16, uh, 6, 17, sorry, Paul says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is, I'm sure some people here know what the sword of the Spirit is, the Word of God. The Word is the weapon used by the Spirit. Or in Hebrews 4.12, it speaks about the same sword and it says, the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The Word of God is alive and active because it's wielded by the alive and active Spirit of God. When we read God's Word, we hear God's living and active Spirit. And finally, on this point of doctrine, Ephesians and Colossians. They're kind of parallel passages. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit and so on. Colossians, let the message of Christ, NIV doesn't translate it that helpfully, more clearly in the ESV, let the word of Christ dwell among you richly as you reach and admonish one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. So being filled with the Spirit is the same as being filled with the word. To hear from God's word, we read, uh, to hear from God's Spirit, we read God's word. When we read God's word, we hear God's Spirit speak. Why is this different to how Philip heard the Spirit? Well, there's two reasons that are kind of obvious, really. In Philip's time, Scripture was still being written, like we're reading about what was happening right, right at this time. Today, Scripture's complete. 
And secondly, the Spirit hadn't yet gone out to all people. You'll hear more about that in Acts chapter 15 later on. So to hear from God's Spirit, we read God's Word. And that's exactly what the Ethiopian was doing in this passage. He was reading God's Word and the Spirit spoke to him through Philip. Now, there's something of a little bit weird about the way he reads it. Yeah, we saw that he's reading out loud and that's unusual, but there's something else. And to illustrate, I'm going to show you a picture of my daughter's cat. Both of these photos were taken... This is my younger daughter's cat. Both of these photos were taken by my older daughter. Can you guess which of these photos she chose to put on her phone as the background? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it a proud moment when you realise your children have grown up to be just like you? Anyway, the cat recently had to get kidney stones removed. Um, as we took the cat to the vet, we told her, don't worry, this surgery will make you better. You might feel sore for a while, but in a week or so you'll be feeling so much better. But of course our cat doesn't speak a word of English, even when we talk to it like this. When you think about it, explaining surgery to a cat is kind of pointless. In fact, you don't really need to think about it, do you? And it kind of feels like the Ethiopian's doing something similar. In verses 30 and 31, when Philip asks him if he understands what he's reading, he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? He's sitting there reading something he's got no real expectation of understanding. But the fact that he is realising that it's beyond his understanding, the fact that he accepted that led him to ask Philip to come up and speak to him and it actually led to the gospel being explained to him and him receiving salvation. The fact that he was humbly reading it, recognising that he needed help to understand it, invited the spirit to work and it's why it wasn't pointless. You know, an American study showed that the people who read the Bible most in America are Christians and atheists. When atheists read the Bible, they're not reading it to understand what it says to them. They're not reading it humbly. They're looking for ammunition to refute it. They're reading a book about God while firmly believing that God doesn't exist. They're just totally filtering out the message. Some people who wouldn't call themselves Christians or atheists, like they hear what the Bi they think the Bible says and They've heard something they disagree with. Typically these days it's about sexual purity. They hold themselves above God and they say how wrong the Bible's attitude is. They're reading a book telling them about their sin and about their need to trust God, but they're doing it from a self-righteous point of view, believing that God isn't to be trusted. They're totally destroying the message. Unfortunately, we can do this too. We might have a disagreement with a Christian brother or sister, so we go hunting for passages that justify us. Or we, we read the Bible and we do it to convince ourselves that we're really not that bad. We're reading a book that tells us that only Jesus can justify us and we're reading it to justify ourselves. We'd be better off talking to the cat. Or, better still, we should read the Bible humbly like the Ethiopian did, praying that God will make it clear to us and it will bring us life like it did to the Ethiopian. Remember, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It can tell us about 
who God is and what he wants from us if we humbly read it, recognising that when it seems different to our own view, it's because God's wisdom is infinitely greater than ours. So, what does the Bible tell us we should do? Jesus condenses the whole thing brilliantly when he's asked this question in John 6, 28. He's asked, what must we do to do the works God requires? And he gives this answer. This is the work of God, to believe in the one he's sent. So in today's passage in Acts, in verse 35, right after the Ethiopian invites Philip up to explain the passage he's reading, it says that Philip explained the good news to him starting with that passage. The bit that we've got in Acts is from Isaiah 53, verse 7 to 8. But Philip would have explained that Isaiah wasn't talking about himself, but about Jesus. And he probably went back to the verses before, in 5 and 6. He would have told him that Jesus had died because of our sin. That Jesus suffered so that we can have peace and forgiveness if we trust in him. That is, if we admit that we've been living a sinful life and instead trust Jesus and do what he wants us to It says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him by his wounds were healed. He would have explained that we can trust Jesus, we can know that he'll keep his promises, and that he can rescue us, because after he died, God raised him back up from the dead, proving that he's righteous before God. This is what Jesus said would happen, it's what did happen, and it's what verse 11 of Isaiah 53, that same passage, also says would happen. After he's suffered, he'll see the light of life. He'll raise again. He'll be satisfied, and by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And because the Spirit was at work, because the Ethiopian listened to the Spirit, he repented and was baptised. And that's how we should respond too. We need to admit that we haven't been living as God wants us to, believe that Jesus will save us, trust and obey him. God's word tells us to trust in Jesus. If we have heard that message to trust in Jesus, we have heard the spirits telling us to do it and we need to obey. This is a really important point in today's passage. If the Ethiopian hadn't become a follower of Jesus, he wouldn't have been saved we wouldn't be seeing the promises to Abraham fulfilled. If he hadn't repented and trusted Jesus, this meeting would be worthless to him, a total waste of time. And if we don't repent and trust in Jesus, what we've heard today or any other day the Bible's been preached will be a total waste of time to us. Everything else we ever do will simply heap more punishment on us from God. So if there's any of you here today, I don't know any of you, really. If any of you haven't done that, don't keep wasting your time. Trust in Jesus today. Talk to one of the people that you've seen up here. All right, tell. Finally, if we have repented and if we've trusted in Jesus, if we've received his wonderful forgiveness, if we've decided to live our life for him, the natural thing for us to do will be to tell others about it. So we already saw, didn't we, that today's passage is a bit different to the ones earlier in Acts because It describes the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles, but there's something else different about today's passage to the things that have happened before it. See, up till now, we've heard the apostles preaching, and they've been preaching to large crowds. We've seen thousands of people respond, but in this passage, he's alone, Philip, 
He's not even an apostle, and he's running along the road trying to tell a single person about Jesus. But as we noted, Luke is really careful to show that God is completely involved in this. The Spirit, the Bible tells us that the Spirit was there driving the events of this one-on-one preaching of the gospel between Philip and the Ethiopian. It also tells us that the Spirit is there every time the gospel is preached today. Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us time and time again that the work of the Spirit is to bear witness to the Son. I've put some passages up there. You've read it already in Acts 1. And basically the New Testament is just saturated with passages telling us that the message, uh, that the work of the Spirit is to testify to Jesus. As Christians, we have the Spirit living inside us. And so if the Spirit is all about telling about Jesus, then it's just natural that we will witness to him too. Well, I don't know about you, but I often find that hard. I, I feel like when I'm telling someone about Jesus, I'm doing it alone and the other person probably just wants me to shut up. But we see here that when I'm doing it, I'm not alone. The Spirit's there too. And while I think the other person isn't very interested, well, the Spirit is super enthusiastic. He's there going, yeah, come on, you've got to tell him, tell him more. This is why I introduced him to you. So as I was preparing this sermon, God was kind enough to give me a couple of examples of how he's bringing people together today to hear the gospel. My older daughter, the one with the good choice in cat pictures, did walk-up evangelism at university about four weeks ago, and one of her friends had someone say to her, wow, I've been trying to find out about Jesus, and you've just walked up to tell me about him. Can you tell me everything you can? A week later, my daughter was volunteering at something called the Peace Tent, in Lakemba during Ramadan. So because there are a lot of Muslims in Lakemba and Muslims aren't allowed to eat or drink during the day, during Ramadan, they set up the main street of Lakemba at night with a whole lot of food tents and it's just like a huge party atmosphere. At the church on the corner of the main street, they set up a tent like this. It's called the Peace Tent. It's somewhere for Muslims and Christians to have peaceful dialogue about their beliefs. One of my daughter's friends had a young Muslim lady say this to her. She said, I've been thinking about Jesus for about five years now. And I actually think what Christians believe is true. My daughter's friend said to her, well, what's stopped you from becoming a Christian? She said, I don't know how. Can you please tell me? And she gave her life to Christ then and there. Look, that's not always the outcome. But the Spirit is at work bringing people together and the Spirit is at work every time the Gospel's preached. Did you know, I saw a study when I was at college that on average a person in Western cultures becomes a Christian on the 18th separate occasion that the Gospel's shared with them. And we don't know whether the Spirit's organised for us to be person number one or person number 18 and We also don't know whether the person that we're talking to is going to need more or less times than average. So if the person doesn't immediately repent and believe, like those examples, pray for God to send along 17 other people, or, you know, however many it might take. And if you hear that someone's been told the gospel and they haven't yet believed, well, you go and tell them too. You know know you're at least one person closer. 
And what amazing joy it is to be involved in bringing the good news to people. What an incredible joy it is when they eventually do believe. We know the Spirit is at work today like he was in Acts, even if he speaks to us differently. All right, so I told you at the beginning of today that we'd see that Acts isn't a British drama. And my daughter, my younger daughter, asked for a copy of this sermon a little bit earlier and she looked at me and she said, Dad, I don't think you've explained. You've, you've made a big deal of it not being a British drama, but you haven't told us why it matters. Like, what does it show us about God? Well, it shows us that God fulfills his promises. It shows us that God can be trusted. It shows us that God wants individual Gentiles like you and me to be Jesus' followers. It shows us that God cares about each one of us. It shows us that he spells out how he's going to do it so that there's no reason we can't trust him. And it shows us that forgiveness and life is offered to all people if we repent and trust in Jesus. So with thanks to a God who does always keep his promises, who's put his Holy Spirit in us who believe, let's trust him, follow his spirit as he speaks to us through the Bible, and as he speaks to others through us. Now let's pray. My Father, thank you that you are a trustworthy God who cares for us, who wants to save us and save others around us. Please help us all to trust and understand your Bible. For those who haven't yet put their trust in you, please convince them of their need. For those of us who have, Help us to spread the wonderful news to others. Amen.